Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Big Red Bus as we take the glorious monstrosity out onto the streets of Chicago. I, along with my, my fearless co-pilot, the great one, Doug Tonus, let's take it out for uh, a beautiful December afternoon or morning on a Saturday. And as we contemplate the status of the beloved bull, what say you, my friend? I, I'm a little sad today, Fred. We were, we were talking in pregame at... Uh... I may have played basketball for like the last time, at least the last time that I'll regularly play competitively with, uh, with my good buddy because the Lifetime Fitness decided to convert their basketball court, at least one of them, to pickleball, and I decided I no longer want to pay to be a member there. So went out with a win, so good to know. But uh, I didn't tell you this, DT, in pregame, but last night, uh, you, as you know, I'm a coach for – two of my son's teams. I'm an assistant on his travel team, a head coach for his grade school team. But the uh, travel team, a bunch of the fathers were playing against the kids. Uh, and I had another one of those moments. As you know, I'm an incredible shooter. And I got hot. And the old men, 40s, all of them in their 40s, beat these individuals, uh, these youngsters, these eighth graders going into high school pretty much on the strength of my outside shooting, continual three-pointer, three-pointer, bomb, bomb. And there were, I was getting doubled, Doug. I was slipping the, the screens. It was, it was just an amazing performance. Now, I don't have a lot of endurance these days, so I had to rest quite a bit on defense, which has uh, been a habit for most of my life, and, uh, which explains why I love shooting and, and don't believe in defense as much. But I got to tell you, man, what a high to, to hit like that and to, and to win against a much younger athletic, talented group of young men. What say you? I mean, <laughs> can we talk about my travel kids? Can we talk good. about my game instead of the Bulls? I, I kind of feel like uh, beating up on eighth graders feels like you got like 150 pounds on these kids. I just imagine you throwing them around in the post. <laughs> anyway, all right. I, I did have a bunch of rebounds. After all the clicks uh, of this show turning off, let's uh, let's hit, hit Bulls basketball. I'd say uh, from the Bulls perspective, you know, it's – on the one hand, they've played the, the, the toughest schedule in the league and like by a pretty good margin too. And the record's not too bad. Like they're still sort of in the bottom of the pack of the teams that are still sort of in the mix. But on the other hand, you know, there's signs that like things aren't super great. You know, like there's a lot of problems and it's all the problems we knew that were going to be there in preseason are there. So, you know, I feel, I feel pretty much what I felt the whole time, which is this is like an average team. You know, I think it's a team, I'd, I'd say their range is like, say, 35 to, to 45. You know, something like that is, is kind of like the range I'd expect them to land in. And, you know, I predicted 39 before we started the season. I, I still feel pretty much like that's about what I would predict now. And, you know, just a, a team that's average is going to have really good moments and really bad moments because that's what an average team does. They're going to get lucky wins. They're going to get bad losses. And... You know, we'll see this next seven-game stretch, I think, is going to be really telling, right? Because we're, we're playing a lot of games against teams that are, are sort of in the middle. you got the Knicks twice. you got Washington. you got Sacramento. So you got a lot of these team games that, you know, if you if you win them all, then probably you're, you're pretty good. And if you're kind of like 500 against, you know, this group that's sort of average, then it kind of cements this feeling that you're, you're also just kind of, kind of average. Um, so we'll, we'll get to see if it's really the schedule that's killed us or whether it's just this team's up and up and downs and they're just, you know, just kind of a, a middle rung rung group. And then I, that's kind of what I think they are. It's just a middle rung group. Yeah. So let's look on the bright side for a second. They're 12th in the East right now, uh, the but there's only side. three and a half games. <laughs> no, that's not the bright okay. side. Give me a okay. second to get to the good part. 
There's only three and a half games that separate them between 12 and four, who are the Atlanta Hawks at 13 and 10. So the Bulls are nine, nine and 13. Uh, so it's not like they're out of it, right? I mean, yeah. they can go on a winning streak and quickly, hopefully, surpass some of the teams between them and, and the Hawks. And I don't think they're that different than the Hawks or any of the teams in between them and number and the four seed. If you look at the teams ahead of them, we got the Hawks, the Pacers, the Nets, the Sixers, the Raptors, the Heat, the Wizards, the Knicks. I'd only argue that probably uh, the Sixers and probably the Sixers alone are, are just clearly better than the Bulls. So I know that, you know, we've been pretty negative in tone over the past few episodes, but I do want to also come back and state, I don't think this is uh, something that you can't fix. I think we can still be a playoff team. And I've seen some good signs over the past few weeks that that can happen. Correct me if I'm wrong, Doug, but I do feel like, you know, the Bulls right now, they're five and five at home. That, along with the Knicks, that's a, a terrible record. Uh, if you look at every other team between them and the Hawks, they all have at least a minimum of seven wins. Most of them have eight at home. They're most, mostly eight and four. So they're going to have a number of home games that get caught up here. I still think it's possible that this season could end with them ending up between four and seven, uh, four and six, and, and avoiding the play-in. Do you think that's likely, or do you think that's not? I mean, I think it's unlikely. Um, but it's definitely not incredibly unlikely. Like, I mean, I guess it's like, I don't know how you, I'd, I'd say it's less than 50, 50 that the bulls are in the four to six spot or better six or better. I think it's less than 50, 50, but it's probably not too far away from 50, 50. Like I'd say it's like 40% chance or something. Yeah. And, okay. And, but it's really like, what do you consider fixing this? All right. Let's say we're six. We make the playoffs, and we just get annihilated in the playoffs again. Is that fixed for you? Like you no. walking away from that season, going, "What a what a roaring success that was! We won one playoff game again." So, it- correct me if I'm wrong. I think this path is entirely likely. Hoping that Lonzo Ball's career is not over and that he'll eventually come back, that you could see the Bulls finish strong. You could see Zach getting healthier. You could see. All these players kind of coalescing and, and learning to play together. Patrick Williams, although he's been awful in the last three games, you saw, I think, over a five, six-game stretch of him getting better and showing improvement. I could see this team also, though, taking a path, a positive trajectory, and turning things around pretty quickly right around the trade deadline. And then you go into next year with a little bit more certainty that, hey, Zach Levine's going to be healthy, Lonzo's going to be healthy, your team's going to be Definitely better. Why would you ever have certainty that Lonzo Ball is going to be healthy? Like, what, what would have to happen if you'd have certainty that that's true? I mean, like, start with the fact that he's never been healthy for a whole season in his entire career. Like, and, and now he's basically going to miss a whole year with what seemed like it was going to be a six-week injury. I mean, I, I'd say, like, the odds of Lonzo ever being a productive basketball player again are probably lower than they are that he will be a productive basketball player again. I think it's pretty rare that a player goes through an injury like this and and never comes back. I didn't say he'll never come back. I said the odds of him coming back and being a really good productive basketball player again are are low. Like DeMarcus Cousins came back. (laughs) You know, he didn't come back. Isaiah Thomas came back. You know, like like I agree he'll get on the court again. But, man, like – just, just think about this for a second. Like, he's not run 
for almost a year. Like consider like what that has done to his body. You know, I, I don't know if I mentioned on this podcast before, probably, but like, you know, you remember I had some health issues like a year ago and I Mm -hmm. had some blood clots and I basically couldn't exercise for like nine months and I've never recovered from it. (laughs) Like, and I'm 47. So it's like, yeah, when you're older, it's hard to come back. But like, if I was really dedicated and everything, like it still would have taken me at least three months to get back into like kind of the shape I was before all that happened. And if I was younger, so like Lonzo's not running now. So from the point he starts exercising, you got to figure it's at least three months before he would be at his peak. And, you know, it's like they use this phrase in November, like, well, obviously he's not running. Why is it obvious he's not running after an orthoscopic surgery, like six weeks after the surgery? Like when someone gets their meniscus shaved, which seemed to be how they described this surgery, they went in and they shaved something off. They're usually back in like three weeks playing basketball and it's six weeks and he's not running. Like, like, I don't know what they're not saying here or if they just don't know or what's going on. And I don't say this is anything bad about Lonzo as a person or an individual. No one wants to play or Lonzo to play more than Lonzo, right? Like, this is his body, his life. Like, I don't, I'm not casting anything negative about him as an individual. I'm sure he desperately wants to get back out there. But you just got to look at, like, what's happened here. It's super weird. So when you say it's, like, unusual that this would happen, nothing about Lonzo Ball's knees is usual. Like, it just isn't. And so who knows? Like, like everything you're saying, like, yeah, that could happen. Like, it's not like if, like, each one of those things has, like, an okay chance of happening. But it's, like, all of them collectively happening is, like, a very low chance to me. Agreed. And I will admit, you know, in his interview around training camp, right, right before the season, he had a media session. And he said, you know, he couldn't even walk up the stairs without pain. You know, I, I really, that, that shocked me, number one. Number two, it's disturbing and devastating and to hear that, you know, after multiple months, I mean, it was, at that point, it was probably six, seven months. He couldn't even walk up the stairs without pain. You can't play in an NBA basketball game that way. You're hoping and praying that the second surgery was more successful than the first and that he'll get back. That's still an unknown out there. But if he does come back, you know, things will be a lot better. He addresses a lot of the issues with his team on three-point shooting, which leads me into the next point and something I want to get into is, you know, I get into a lot of these conversations with older gentlemen in general, many of whom I greatly respect, but who continue to harp on this. And it varies. You know, there's some young people I hear on Twitter reaching out to me uh, with the same message, which is we need more Vooch in the post. Our base offense can't be Vooch in the post. It's 2022. There's a reason the post game is basically dead in the NBA as a primary offensive set. It's inefficient. He doesn't get to the line. You can't sustain winning with such a game plan unless it's Embiid or Jokic in the post. And Vooch isn't close to either one of those guys. So I have no problem occasionally going to Vooch in the post. You know, when the matchup calls for it or, or there's, you know, pick and roll, that's fine. But if it's Stacey King or Kendall Gill or my dad or any of these other products of the 70s and 80s who are consistently calling for this Vooch, my simple response to you is no. No, no, he's not good enough to build your base offense around, and defensively he sucks. What say you, Doug Tonus? I mean, the other thing you got to start with is what would you view as an appropriate number of possessions of Vooch in the post per game? Uh, Vooch is presently ninth in the NBA in shot attempts per game in the post. Like, (laughs) I mean, like, what do you... 
And he's 56th percentile in terms of efficiency in the post. Do you have the number, the guys ahead of him? Uh, the guys ahead of him are, are Josef Nurkic, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Zion Williamson, DeAndre Ayton, Anthony Davis, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know something about all those guys? They're miles better than him. I mean, except for Josef Nurkic. I would yeah, uh, true. agree with that. Who actually is number one in possessions in the post and is actually really awful at it at 41.7. Of all these guys I named, including Vooch, uh, he has the worst efficiency and he's taking the most shots. So if anyone wants Bulls to... Bulls won the McDermott trade. Bulls won the McDermott trade. Go on. <laughs> but... but uh, and, and and so like either way, look, uh, it, it's kind of and so how many possessions does he have that he's putting shots up? Three point five per game, not very many. But what that shows you is three point five is ninth in the league. Like no one is doing this. Joel Embiid has five point two per game. At a, at a radically higher efficiency level than Vooch. So, you know, like this, like you said, this just it's just not how the game is played. It's not a source of efficient offense. If you if you get Vooch in the post against a 6'3 guard, yeah, hit him. If you say you want to run a pick and roll and see if they switch and then there's an opportunity for Vooch in the post, that's fine. Usually a lot of those shots, though, are the pick and roll. They become role plays, not really post-ups. But if you, if you are able to get a switch on Vooch and he's on a, a small guy, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm down with giving Vooch the ball against a 6'3 dude. But it's not an efficient source of offense to get Vooch going in the post like where, where he's actually really good is when you get him in the pick and roll and he's rolling to the basket. And a lot of times he gets that switch and now he can take a quick shot, you know, at the hoop. Like, I'm not saying Vooch needs to just shoot exterior shots, like get him interior shots. It's just that having him do post-ups is not the best way to get him interior shots. Get him, get him moving through, through the pick and roll game and get, get him rolling to the basket. I think that's where you get your most efficient offense out of Vooch. Agreed a hundred percent on everything you've said. Uh, and if you look at the Utah game, the Bulls spent basically the entire first half with Vooch in the post. And their whole offensive sets, the vast majority of their offensive sets, were built around that concept. Uh, they got whatever they wanted in the paint. And at halftime, I think they were down 7 or 11. I can't remember how many points they were down because Utah beat them from the three-point line to a pulp. That, that's you, you, you can't fight the math. Three is greater than two. They come out in the second half, and, and another thing that people don't realize or haven't noticed yet is DeMar DeRozan has had two of his worst first halves in the last four games. He had a terrible first half yesterday night, uh, last night in the loss um, against Golden State, and he had a terrible night against Utah in the first half. In the first half. Why? Because you have a 265-pound Vucevic with a, another large defender in the post, he can't do what he does best, which is to take the ball and get to the free throw line by attacking the rim or you know, getting a mid-range jumper. It's just not as easy to do when you have a big guy in the post. In the third quarter of the Utah game, Vooch wasn't in the post. They pulled him out, and the Bulls went on a massive run built completely around him, DeRozan, getting to the uh, free throw line, getting attacking the basket. And that's where the Bulls are at their best. If you look at every game they've won this year, they've had some guy hitting threes. Whether it's Kobe White, whether it's Vucevic against the, the Bucks, against Boston, that's how you win in the NBA. And this continual trend of the Bulls, they're dead last in the league in three-point attempts. Golden State's number one. You can't do that. You can't play this way. I don't understand why we're, we're, we're trying to. It's insane, and I know we don't have the players, and that's all on Acme. We don't have the players to do this, but 
Kobe White is a good three-point shooter. He's got to play more. He's got to. He's our best option there. He hardly played last night. I don't understand what, what this direction that we're taking because it's not sustainable and it won't be conducive to winning. Yeah, I, the only thing I would add about that, maybe I'm sure this is a topic you have slated for today. So against Golden State, we switched the lineup. It's something a lot of fans have been calling for, you know, for a while. And they, they moved Io, um, Io and um, uh, Patrick Williams out of the starting lineup. And they replaced him with Green and Caruso. And I think a lot of people were hoping you'd see Dragic in the starting lineup instead. But they, they kept Dragic off the bench. And, you know, the, Billy Donovan came out and said, like, it's not about egos. It's about maximizing the team result. Pat Williams came out and said, like, he kind of expected this to happen. He, some people were a little mad that he wasn't more angry or whatever. I actually appreciated that his thoughts were, were reasonable. I always think it's odd when people think bravado all, all of a sudden means you're going to you work harder or something because you have irrational, you know, views. Um, but anyway, uh, I thought it was interesting, one, that they didn't go to Dragic. But two, the other thing is you say, like, it's not about egos. It's about maximizing the team's success. You know what I'd say? You can't continue with the big three of DeMar, Zach, and, and Vooch. This is a, a three guys that do not complement each other. This is, this is like a terrible big three. You got to trade one of these guys or you got to put one on the bench. Agreed 100%. And moving, like, Pat Williams and, and Io to the bench is just like shuffling the irrelevant deck char- chairs and the Titanic. Like, this is not the problem. The problem is you've got three guys who are all offensive only, whose games don't complement each other, who are mostly isolation-based in what they do on the floor at the same time, kind of like taking turns with different possessions with no real cohesion between them. Like you've, that, that, that is the problem. And so moving the two guys who are just sort of like bit pieces and take like four shots a game out of the starting lineup is not going to mix up the starting lineup in a way that's meaningful. And I, and, and everyone who said mix up the starting lineup, like pointed at those two guys. So it's not like what Donovan did was, was crazy, but we're just too scared to face the elephant in the room, which is our big three does not complement each other. is not a group that works well together and needs to be either broken up in terms of their playtime together, or one of them needs to be moved off the roster. You can get away with it when you have Lonzo ball and Caruso playing at a very high level defensively, Lonzo's bringing in three-point shooting there. It, like, there's a couple guys that you could bring in. Like, if you brought in a Mikel Bridges, for example, and threw him in with those three, he'd cover up a lot you of the boards. You could make it better, but, but you're those hundred percent right. Complement each other. Like, yes, if they had like elite two other elite three and D players next to them, like Lonzo was an elite three and D player, right? If you had two Lonzo balls and they were playing with those guys, it would help a lot. But those three still wouldn't complement each other well. You'd still be better off busting up those three and replacing them with someone else. Like, this is not a good threesome. What move would you recommend, Doug? I agree with you. So what I would do, do? do, be prepared for everyone to throw up in their mouths. What I would do is what I said I would do two years ago. One, I would right now, I'd trade DeMar and I'd trade Booch to the Lakers for Westbrook and their two picks. I would trade Zach to the Knicks for, like, multiple picks and some players. And I would just blow this thing to hell. Hope I get lucky in the, in the draft, which I probably won't. And I'll probably give the seventh pick to Orlando or something. But it doesn't matter what happens with Orlando. If we give them the seventh pick or the 14th pick, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the Bulls' outcome. And I would just start over. Like, none of these guys are guys that I want to build a team around. I'd start over. Like, I just, I mean, if you could find a better trade where you trade these guys for different guys, you could, like, look at it. But, like, player for player trades where you're doing talent for talent are really hard to pull off. It's usually player, you know, short-term player for long-term future assets. 
it's really hard to find player for player trades. Yeah, I'm, I mean, open to it. It's just I don't see what's on the table. I mean, you look at the offensive geometry of a team like the Suns, DeAndre Ayton, Booker, and Bridges. Those three guys are perfectly complementary to each other. Their games are perfectly suited for each other. Chris Paul can sit on his rear end for the rest of the year. It doesn't matter. A team's awesome without yeah, him. But even, even if you throw Those Paul into guys, that group, and I know you hate Chris Paul, like Paul doesn't disrupt that, right? Like Paul fits well with all those guys too. Like whether you think he's, you know, and, and at this point, I think probably we'd all agree he's probably not so great anymore anyway. Like he's not giving you. They, they're fine without him. But yeah, and they're fine yeah, without him. They, they play like very well there, without him. If he's there, he's still a good fitting piece with those guys, right? Like even when you add him back, the chemistry is not going to get all out of whack with Chris Paul on the floor. Like that whole team fits well together. This team would have fit much better together, the Bulls, if Vooch continued his good three-point shooting. That disappeared as soon as that disappeared last year, they should have moved him for Aiton or whoever they could have in any way possible. I don't think that happened, and it causes me great concern because they, they really fell in love with this guy. I think they kind of realized that, oh, my gosh, it's would be a huge egg in our face. Look at all the assets we gave up for him. You know, we got we got to ride this out, and that's a mistake because it just it doesn't work. And Vooch has been fine. Some cost. He's, yeah, he's some been cost, fine, exactly. But- and that's why I don't want to make – I said this is why I feel you have to break up this team. And I didn't point say you got to break up Vooch. Like, look, I, I've, I've liked Zach Levine. I think we had to sign Zach Levine to the contract we signed him to. But I'd be aggressively looking to trade him. Like, you, weren't, you, you, you were going to get more by signing him and now trading him at this deadline than you were going to let him walk. So, but I would look to aggressively trade him. I, I'd look to aggressively trade all these guys. Start over. Burn this thing to the ground. I don't think now is a good time to trade Zach Levine. He's at a. I think he's going to. It might be a lot worse time in a year. I don't agree with that. What? Why? What makes you say that? I think he's he's shown signs that he, he can yeah. play better. And, right. It, you know. Right. Like, he's on this massive deal and he's showing signs that it could still work out. Let's say it doesn't. Let's say it's been a full season of him playing like this. It's been a full season of him playing like this. Now he's just an albatross. Yeah, like he's an excellent shooter. Really he's an excellent shooter. on what happens with him and if he bounces back and starts scoring well and looking like he did the last two years. In terms of trade value, all right, all right, let's talk about that. What what your return will be in order of players right now, I think on the team. I'm, I'm not even talking about Crusoe. I think actually you could argue Crusoe you might be able to get more for than Levine right now. Levine's trade value is at a low. So you need to rehabilitate that in some form or fashion. I don't I know that that's can be true. Done. I mean, like, it, I don't know that a team, a team that likes Zach, like a team that likes Zach, I don't know that they're so turned off by the fact that he had knee surgery and, you know, and he's, he's working his way back into game shape from it. Like, like, I don't know that they're going to, they're turned off by that at this point so much, but I agree. Like, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would trade Zach for nothing. Like if it's like, oh, I can only get a pick in the twenties for him. Yeah. I'll just take a chance and hope things work out. You know, I would, I would look to see what I can get for him. And if I could get like two picks and, and like some, you know, Derek Rose and whatever from the Knicks, I'd probably take that. Let's go into Patrick Williams for a second. Patrick Williams last three games. You ready for these stats? Does, 23.8 minutes, 19% from the field, 22% from the three-point line, averaging 1.3 free throw attempts per game so he doesn't get to the line, 3.3 rebounds. Zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks, essentially 4.7 points in 23 minutes per game. His last three three games have been an abomination. For everybody who's 19 years old or 20, 21, these were his 108th 
109th and 110th career games. We shouldn't be seeing this. You should not have games like this where you, you're you're actually a negative presence out on the court for the beloved well, bull. Sure. What say you? Nothing new. Pat Williams is not that good. Like, there's never been a point, and I don't think really for either of us, where we said, wow, Pat Williams is amazing. We both said he's a prospect. He's got some things going for him. Maybe it'll work out. He's got to improve a lot. He's really far away. And it hasn't. Like, I mean, like, what? There's nothing surprising about this. It's not news. <laughs> like, oh, Pat Williams is not still not good. Like, I mean, what's different? Nothing. This is just who he is. What's different, though, Doug, is previous eight games, 55% from the field, 58% from three. He was rebounding like, better at five per game, but like, in, you know, 27 but, minutes. Okay, so he played sort of well in eight games. What, what is, you know, his, his season high in points this year? 17. Like, okay. So in those previous eight games, like, I, I pulled up his game logs now. I'm just eyeballing it. It looks like he probably averaged about 11 to 12 points a game for eight games. That's your In upside? those eight games, That's he like, averaged oh, 11 points. Holy crap. He averaged 12 points a game for eight games. This dude's a stud? No, like, that's just noise. It's just, like, in almost all of it was just he shot the three well. And he shot the three well because he's always wide open out there. And he's a decent, wide open, spot up three point shooter. I thought he was playing better defense. Yeah, yeah, for the most defense, part during I that stretch. I agree. I agree. Absolutely, his defense is better. And so, if you said Pat Williams is going to be a solid defender who can shoot open threes, I'd say, yeah, okay, I'm with you. Like you know, but like over that, but that's it. That's what he does. He's not going to give you volume attempts. He's not going to give you volume scoring. If you like, he he's never shown any great skill level at anything else. So when when he's kind of giving you better games, it's usually because he's shooting the three ball well. You know, like in a 17-point game, three of four from three. And those other games, 12-point game, two of four, six points out of his 12 points from the, the, the three-point line. And his two 11-point games, uh, two and three threes in each of those. You know, I have 11.6 and nine from the three-point line. So he's a guy who when when he's giving you lots of points most of the time it's just he's hitting his spot up shots and he's getting open looks and again like that doesn't make him a terrible person like i'm not that trying to be down on pat williams but like what you can expect from him at this point in time is that he is a solid wide open three point shooter and he is an emerging defensive player like his his defense is getting better and yeah maybe over time he'll he'll show you something else too but if, if he could just become a good defensive player and shoot open threes, like there's a spot for that in the NBA, right? Like a versatile defender who can hit threes. Like, yeah, they, you'd, you'd get a lot of run, you know, with just those abilities. So it's not like that's just, this is the worst thing ever, but he's just, he, there's no reason to think he's going to be a star player or a needle moving player. He's going to be a role player. I was frustrated with him yesterday because he got moved to the bench. Io responded with a rock-solid game, 4-4 from the field. I thought he embraced the, the role and the opportunity. And Pat goes 3-9, and nine, you know, just, just another lackadaisical effort. He can't pass. I mean, my, my goodness, but he's gone. But none I of those now. things are different. Like, it's 40 so, minutes. It's so unfair to just be like, oh, lackadaisical effort. He, he didn't shoot the ball well, so he's terrible. Like, Okay, like Pat Williams didn't just develop a ton of skills because he went to the bench. Like, he's an open three-point shooter who can defend. That's it. If he's on the bench, like he doesn't all of a sudden, like, oh, I like, cared more because he was 4-4. Four four. Like, 
Like, you think Pat was like, I just don't give a crap. I'm going to shoot three of nine. Like, yeah, of course he wanted to shoot nine of nine or whatever. Like, you forced the issue more. He got nine shots up. Like, I just, I, I don't think, like, I, I don't think I would just go into, like, the character of the players based on this or think, like, oh, he was not trying or not depressed or doesn't care. Like, like those are all just weird fan things. I'm sure Pat Williams cares deeply that he's not playing better and wishes he could do better. It's not, it's, it's, he's just not that good. That's all it is. It's just he's not that good. Like, there's nothing else to it. Like, that's it. That's what it is. He's not that good. He's an average NBA player. He's a, he's he's a rotation player. player who has ex- We blew it. We had skills. a chance to get... Yeah. That's it. We had a chance to get a real difference maker. Yeah, sort of. We could have taken moment. Halliburton. Like, it's not like everyone in the world was like, oh, Halliburton's the obvious choice. Doug, everybody was talking about... That. See, that's no, where you're wrong. that's not Everybody true. was talking about Halliburton as an option from... Everyone was talking about was all picked. kinds of guys. Everyone was talking about, like, 9, 10 guys. Everyone knows that this draft was a group of people that was just, like, all had weird flaws, all had weird strengths. It was a complete toss-up. There's no mock draft that, like, there's no consensus of Halliburton at four. I don't even think you'd, you'd struggle even to find drafts where he was picked at four. He was a guy who was, like, in the he top. He was discussed. Like, he was in the range. Like, he, people were discussing him. He was in that range. He, there, yes. he was in that range. And he was in that range even ahead of Pat Williams, right? Like, on an average draft, Halliburton was higher than Williams. So, like, I, I'm not saying, like, Williams was the obvious choice here either. I'm just saying it wasn't like, well, there were, like, seven guys. They all turned out well, and we took Pat Williams, and he sucks. Like, there was, like, eight guys in the same range. All of them sucked except for one. Halberton, he's, he's leading the league in assists. Yeah, and he's great. he had I a stretch of 40 assists without a turnover. Yeah, I like, wish he took him. that kind of excellence is insane. No one, no uh, one is so saying like, otherwise. Obviously, Halliburton was the guy to take. All I'm saying is, at that time, there was a range of, like, seven, eight guys that were viewed similarly. He was one of them. There's no consensus from anyone that he was the best. He was com- not commonly picked at four. He was probably averaged around seven. Pat Williams was probably averaged around 10. So, like, we still reached, but, like, if we got Okoro or Kanwu or Killian Hayes or something, you wouldn't be like, oh, man, we're rolling now. Like, we wouldn't be in any better position. So, you know, whatever. Like I said, I wish we got Halliburton, but I don't find that to be, like, one of those things where it's like we pick the only loser out of a bag of winners. Like, you know, there was no, like, huge momentum for him, and we did, like, we reached to take someone else. Let's get into quarterly grades. Let's do that right now. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to throw some things out there. See, for the fans and for you, little quiz questions. Top one, two, three in assists. Can you name the Bulls right now in total assists for the season? One, two, three. Uh, I don't know. Demar, Zach. Demar number one with 103. Two is Alex Crusoe at 81. Three is Zach Levine with 78. Goran Dragic is four with 69. That's not good. Total rebounds, one, two, three. Well, I mean, Vooch is one. Drummond is two. 246. <laughs> Drummond is two with 130. Um, I mean, after that, and I don't know, maybe maybe DeMar. DeMar's third, 96. Our power forward is uh, fourth with 86, Patrick Williams. Zach Levine has 79. And has missed a lot of games. <laughs> like Free throw attempts. Um, uh, I mean, Demar is number one. Zach's number two. Demar is number one with one seventy-five. The second player is Zach, seventy-eight. God, I have seventy-eight. I have no idea who would be third. Um, I mean, I guess I'd, I'd, maybe Vooch is third. Vooch is third with fifty-three. Yeah. Guess who's fourth? You'll never get it. <laughs> You'll never um, get it. I'll just start by saying that. Uh, You're not going to get it. If I'm never going to get it, I'll guess Andre Drummond. 
Derek Jones Jr. Okay. I was not going to. He was maybe my second. I'm never going to get it guessed, but I would have only put him. I was trying to like, who is the least likely guy that maybe has a chance? He's played 213 minutes and he's fourth on the team in free throw attempts. I'm highlighting this for a bigger reason. You know, there's there's major problems on this roster and on this team um, uh, for some of those reasons I highlighted there. So let's go quarterly g- grades. Number one, DeMar DeRozan shooting 51% from the field. Uh, 31% from threes, averaging 25.8 points per game, 4.7 assists, leading the team, one steal, uh, and uh, about four, uh, 4.4 rebounds per game. What's what's your grade for I mean, DeMar is still an A. He, he's less than Absolutely. last year, but like it is a $27 million player. He's an A. Not, it's not even close. He's an A. He's a great, great, doing great. I'd give him an A+, plus, except his defense feels like it's fallen off this year. Yep. 88% from the free throw line, eight attempts per game. I don't know where this team would be without DeMar DeRozan, but it wouldn't be in a good place. What's, what's interesting Zach Levine. is if you look at DeMar's splits, he plays ridiculously well in losses and awful in our wins. I'm not saying that means anything. I just said it's interesting. Zach Levine. Uh, I would give Zach Levine a C-. minus. 40% from the field, 35% from three, uh, 82% from the free throw line, 4.3 attempts per game. Uh, he's 4.4 rebounds, which is exactly the same as DeMar, 4.3 assists. Uh, and what'd you give him? C minus. 20.9 points per C minus. Wow. Wow. That's pretty harsh. Why is that harsh? Well, I mean, a guy's averaging 20.9 yeah, points per game. he's shooting like shit and plays Zach no defense. Uh, <laughs> I'd give him a C plus. Uh, oh, wow. I, I that's, think overall... that's just radically better. <laughs> it is The better. GPA comes but out I'd the same there, Fred. <laughs> it's like, All right. We'll go on for, to the next For like one. a max Vooch. contract guy. You know, making like forty million yeah. a year, like he just has to give you efficient offense. And I'm Doug, I'm, you you can you convince me. I'm not beside myself with Zach because it's like he's still working his way into shape, and I think he'll get better. But he's not giving you efficient offense right now. That's that's he, he clearly isn't going to give you anything other than offense. And if he's giving you inefficient offense, it's just a straight loss with him to me. So he's played eighteen games too. I know they were sitting him out there, but he's starting to get yeah. He's he's getting all the games starting to play now. more often. He's not missing them now, so that's yep. It's a good time. Vucevic, 22 games, played every game, 31.8 minutes per game, 48% from the field, 34% from three. I think it was about a week ago Mark was telling me he was shooting 38%, and that interim he's gone down to a very pedestrian 34. 84% from the free throw line, rarely gets there. Rebounding like a mother, uh, 11.2, doing a great job there. But he doesn't block shots, and he he provides no rim defense, 16 points per game. What say you? Uh, Vooch, to me, is probably a a C-plus this year. How about you? I give him a C because, again, it's three-point shooting. It's basically it's 34%, but it's there based on an incredible two games. Like, he had two games but where he three really Three-point shooters are like that a lot of times. Like, I, I don't know. I'd like a little more consistency. Yeah, sure. I, I you know, agreed. I would like more, but that's why I said C+. Plus. I, I guess maybe it's like... I was probably a little harsh on him. Yeah, I mean, he, he's playing better than last year. I think quite a bit better than last year. Uh, he, he's not missing as many bunnies at the rim. Uh, this year his overall like true shooting percentage is way up this year so you know all in all I think I think Vooch is fine like I don't view him as a problem on the team like generally speaking except that as I said Damar Vooch and Zach together as like a terrible threesome like in terms of their matching together but I don't think Vooch is, is like a problem you know per se I give, I give him a C plus Io 28 minutes per game uh 52% from the field very high field goal percentage Thirty-three percent from three, um, shooting ninety-four percent from the free throw line, 
10.6 points per game, one of the four Bulls that are in double figures, uh, and averaging 2.9 assists, 3.5 rebounds. So he's not assisting like he was last year. Uh, kind of an uneven year, I'd say, so far for Io. I'd give him a C plus. What say you? I'm, I'm probably about the same same as you. You know, maybe what, what concerns me or would stop me from giving Io a higher grade is his, you know, like assist-to-turnover ratio, not really excellent for a point guard. And, you know, like not a lot of assists. But part of that is the function of the offense and his role. He's like a, a bit player. His three-point percentage started out good, but it, it's it's also like Vooch dipped tremendously. And kind of just with the group of guys he plays with, you, they really need him to shoot those threes well. So that's been a little bit disappointing. If he had had his three-point percentage up more, I, I would be like pretty high on Io. I think that's the, the one thing. Um I've seen, and he still needs to grow in kind of like most areas on the floor too. But, but I, I, a C plus, I give him a C plus. Alex Caruso, twenty-two games played every game, twenty-five minutes per game, forty-two percent from the field, thirty-six percent from three, which is a little bit higher than I expected. I thought he shot pretty awful from there for the year. Seventy-seven percent from the free throw line, three point seven assists, one of the best passers on the team, one point four steals per game, five point six points only. What say you about Alex Caruso? I'm going to go with a B- minus for Caruso. That's exactly where I had him. Um, the, the one thing that's killing me with him is he just seems scared to shoot the ball. Like, he's just wide open from three a lot and just won't, won't shoot the ball. And his percentage is not bad, but I think it does not accurately show how badly he's shooting. Because it's like he is, I agree. He, he's, well, he's like wide open. passing up shots where he's wide open and the offense then doesn't get a better look again. And that has like a really negative effect on the offense. But defensively, he's, he's been spectacular. Like the Bulls always roll when he's on the court. <laughs> like you want to know when the Bulls are playing defender. well, it's like almost a direct correlation to whether Alex Crusoe is on the court or not. And, and so I just have to give him, give him like a little bit higher score from that, even though it's not showing up in the box, the box score, like, the Bulls roll when he's playing, and they get destroyed when he's not. I think a B minus is a, is the he's an A defender. He's been a C uh, on the offensive end. What, you know, I, I think yeah, you're I think absolutely that's absolutely right. You hit it on that. Yeah. B minus to a B. I give it to him. Patrick Williams, twenty two games, twenty five minutes per game, forty four percent from the field, forty two percent from three on three attempts per game, stellar uh, three point percentage, uh, sixty nine. Uh, excuse me, ninety two percent from the free throw line. Excellent job there, but he doesn't rarely gets the line. Only one point three attempts per game. He's got point zero. 0.8 assists, 3.9 rebounds. Uh, so his rebounding and passing, to me, have been lacking from that position. But 9.1 points per game, what say you? What's your grade? I, I give him a C. You know, and it's kind of, we didn't really discuss our ground rules before this. Are like, we going versus our expectations? Are we going versus, like, where we, versus their salary? Are we going versus, like, the role they play? Uh, there's like a lot of different. W- I, I would say it based on their performance. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm kind of like gauging straight each guy up. versus my expectations of them is, is sort of what I'm looking at. So like, you know, like I'd, I'd say like Zach is better than Pat Williams, but I'm going to give Pat Williams a better grade because I expect a lot more out of Zach. He's paid a lot more. He's a different tier player, you know, so for Pat Williams, his role and what I expect out of him, you know, I'd, I'd say he's like a C the, the three point shooting is really what's kind of raises that because everything else is, is pretty poor. Um, I give him a C too. His, yeah. his defense is improving. absolutely. So like, Clearly. He, he, I think he's establishing himself as much as like bulls fans are just 
I think now maybe coming back down there, they're whipsawing and, and, and whiplashing themselves. You know, like the two of us both said this guy is not that great the whole time. And so now people are like, I'm done with Pat. He's awful, whatever. Like, and I think we are maybe a little bit more not moving our opinion as much. Like he, he's a role player. I've always thought he's a role player. He's still a role player until he shows me something that says he's more than a role player. I'm going to think he's a role player. And his three point shooting has been excellent. His defense has been better than I expect it to be for the vast majority of the season. Uh, yeah. But his passing is terrible. His rebounding is terrible. He can't his pass. Effort he can't rebound. Uneven. He can't dribble. Like, <laughs> this is like a lot of things. Three pretty important things there. But defending and shooting are two really, really important things. So, you know, he's, he's for got a team a that needs three point shooting. For a team that needs three point shooting, he has been much better than advertised. Yeah, he's got to get the attempts up though. That's like he's got to get the attempts up, and he's he's got to get like you know the the release speed has to get better where he so he can get the attempts up. You know, like Lonzo only takes spot up shots, right? Like Lonzo's not shooting off the dribble, but Lonzo can get you seven points a game because you get the ball on his fingertips, and there's not someone on top of him. The ball's going up, and it's going to be a good look. Like Pat Williams needs to get that release speed, like Lonzo has. You know, if if Pat was able to do this in seven attempts a game, he'd be a totally different player. So that that that's what he needs to do. Like people keep talking about, will he become a star? Will he create shots? I'm like, I actually. I don't care about that. Get me up to seven three-point attempts a game and keep your percentage around 40. You know, if you do that and you, you play defense, you're a really, really good player in this league. Let's run through these last few ones. Kobe White, 18 minutes per game, 40% from the field, 32% from three, 7.5 points per game, 1.9 rebounds, 1.6 assists. What say you? A D, but it's sort of like an incomplete. Like he's not really played much, but the three-point percentage – very poor and he's not really giving you much of anything else it would be a c it's a c for me because he won us basically two games he was huge in the yeah the, fair. The that's, that's a good good point if you yeah if you're timely yeah. enough to win the game against an elite team you maybe maybe that yeah. bumps you up a little bit yeah so and i think he had a good game against the bucks i can't recall uh, off the top of my head but there were two games where i felt like kobe white was the difference between us winning and losing goran Dragic. Uh, 21 games, 17.9 minutes per game, 43% from the field, 42% from three. Absolutely, not even yeah. worthwhile. Not even Much better than you expected. Yeah. Uh, Javante Green, 16.4 minutes per game, very low minutes per game, 58% from the field, 37% from three, six points per game. What say you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, Javante is a B plus. That's exactly what I had him at. He's played br- huge energy. You know, He still occasionally does things that irritate me, and you know he's yeah. not – but but overall, I mean, you, he's he's absolutely had an impact. Yeah. On Actually, giving you that thirty-seven percent games, even though it's on low volume from three, you know, it's like. But he's always wide open. Yeah, That's yeah, great. but so what? So is Pat Williams, and we're talking about how great he is. So, you know, like, but him getting a decent percentage when he's wide open, at least that's giving some threat, right? Like yeah. he's given you. He's not taking a lot of looks, but he's given you really good efficiency when he shoots. Without looking it up, Andre Drummond, how many minutes per game do you think he's played? Uh, like 15? 14.7. I think that's way too low. Agreed. 14.7 minutes per game, 54% from the field. Uh, obviously, he's not a three-point shooter, but he's averaging 8.1 rebounds in 14.7 minutes. I think he should be playing more. I like him. I'd give him a, a B plus. I think he's been really good in the minutes he's played. Yeah, I'm with you. Same. I I'd, I'd also think he's been very solid in the 
the minutes he's had. And the last, the 11th player in terms of meaning, meaningful rotation minutes, we're not going to talk about Terry Bradley or Simonovich. Derek Jones Jr., only 12 minutes per game, 43% from the field, 17% from three, which is awful. But he does get to the line for the amount of minutes he plays, shoots it at an 84% rate. And he does, I, I like him. I think he rebounds really well. And I always like his energy, and I think he's a, a, a good player. What say you? I give him I give him a C plus. Yeah, I'm probably about the same. Kind of like Kobe, it's a little bit of an incomplete. He's just not played enough minutes. But generally, I've liked him when he's out there. But yeah, I'd, I'd say I might even go B minus. I mean, he's basically making the minimum now. Just a shade over that. So, you know, as a guy who's who's like the tenth or eleventh guy in the roster, you know, I think he's he's plays gives you really solid minutes when he's in there. You almost always like what you see out of him when he's in there. And Billy Donovan. God, it's so hard to grade coaches, but I mean, I would say, I mean, I'll give Donovan a C. I don't know. Like, I think he keeps the team together and the guys like him. And I think that's a lot more important than people think it is. As an X and O's guy, I, I, I don't know that he's great, but he did change the whole offense this year from like, you know, like the, the five out offense and four out offense. And like, he, he moved things around. He's willing to play with the lineup. Like he, he benched Pat Nio. So, you know, I think, I think he's maybe unfairly criticized for not doing anything, I guess is what I want to say. I don't think that the, the problems the Bulls have are really Donovan's fault, but the coach always takes a larger share of the blame than I think is warranted. And I think that's, that's true of Donovan uh, as well. I'd give him a B-. minus. I think the fact that this team is decent defensively is a miracle. Yeah. There's only, in my opinion, two players on the team that are plus defenders, really elite defenders, and that's Crusoe and the other one's Alonzo Ball, who hasn't played a minute. Everything else, I mean, you look at your top three players in DeRozan, Zach, and and, uh, and um, Vucevic, I mean, those guys, by any stretch of the imagination, at best are average defensively, and on most nights they're awful. So, like, when you, you have the guys that are playing the vast majority of your minutes that are that bad, the only three guys on a team in 30-plus minutes, and you're still respectable defensively, to me that's a reflection of the coach doing a good job. I kind of feel like uh, that the Bulls' defensive numbers are almost all luck. Like, just like like, like, like we, well, we, no, you got, we you defend got the three-point line so poorly. Like, it just feels like that's – like, it's almost like all just kind of – I don't know. It's probably like totally unfair, but like I just I just think our defense looks like much better statistically than it is in reality. Um, but either way, I think yeah. I think Donovan is beat up a lot more than is fair. Uh, I'll, I'll I agree with you there. And people get on him like too, like about you know the, the, he's he's actively tried to to change things up with the offense and have it be more sharing. My point is to me the team. I've said this before. It happened before the season a year ago. The Bulls' offense is optimized with the ball in, in uh, DeMar DeRozan's hands and having four guys hopefully spread the floor around him. We don't have that. That's on Acme. He doesn't have that, that uh, those guys to do that. Still, regardless, even if you have average shooters, I still think that's the way to play the game. And he's kind of fought against the noise to, I think, in the end, to, to change things up and work out a Vooch in the post. He'll do that like the Bulls used to do, going to Cartwright in the first quarter. But big picture, down the line, when the game's on the line, it usually ends up in DeMar DeRozan's hands. And that's the best way for us to win over and over again. He's our best player. I don't even think it's close. Like So like, why is this an issue? It's not. I don't want the ball in Vucevic's hands. I don't want plays called for Patrick, William, Patrick Williams. I don't want, you know, Zach's the only other guy that can really 
do well, I think, on occasion, consistently, and he hasn't had a good year. So, overall, he takes way too much heat, way too much. And his reasoning is always well thought out on why he's doing things. And I and I, I really appreciate that, especially when in contrast to the dopes yeah. we had before. I think Donovan's fine. Like I, I look at it this way. There's like a few coaches in the NBA. There's like very few that I feel like this coach makes a difference. I think Nick Nurse, Nick Nurse, uh, Eric Spolstra, and you know, in the past, Greg, in the past, Steve Greg Kerr, Popovich, Steve, Steve Kerr, Kerr is a little bit of a wild card for me. Like that team hasn't lost anything when he's been not there, um, and they have such great players. But I could, I could maybe get behind Steve Kerr. I'm less convinced, uh, just because of the like the massive talent he works with is like makes it harder to to gauge. But. But yeah, possibly like the Utah coach yeah. is doing. But again, that's like not long enough. Like much, like man. Nick He's Nurse, I've seen enough of, and Eric Spolster, I've seen way more than enough of. Like those guys, it's like Greg Popovich in the past too. Same way. Like I don't know, maybe Pop's getting a little older, or whatever. I don't know if I'd want him for like the next ten years, but you know, certainly the past twenty. So, but there, there's a few guys who are like super elite, and you're like, this guy makes a difference. He moves the needle. Like I think if I brought this guy in as coach, my team would be a lot better for having done it. There's very few guys like that, and. Billy Donovan is not one of those guys to me. Then there's this next tier of guys are like, this guy is good. He's respectable. He knows what he's talking about. He's smart. He can teach the game. He can get along with players. Like he's, he is a NBA caliber head coach. Donovan is absolutely in that group. And there's probably like 15 guys in that group or so. And then after that, you got a group of guys who are like the Jim Boylan's of the world who are like, this was an assistant that we thought maybe could be in that group, but he's not. And he got a chance and it, and it didn't work out. And so, you know, whatever, Donovan's in that middle, middle group, middle tier of coaches. He's fine. He's not the problem. Like, is, is he, is he going to like add 10 wins? Probably not. But is he going to add 10 losses? No. Like, so, you know, he's, he's just a guy who's, who's going to give you a good, solid coaching performance. He's respectable. No one's going to look at him and be like, man, I don't want to play for that guy or Donovan's there. Screw that team. You know, like he's fine. He's fine. On the list of problems with this beloved bull. He is well. Yeah, I mean, he's like, if list. I had a few things starting of non-player problems, like he is the lowest on the totem pole between like Acme and the ownership and Donovan of like the key non-player group. Donovan is the of that. He's the guy I have the most confidence in. Next games Sunday: Bulls, Kings, Wizards, Bulls, Mavs. Uh, that's at home. So one more road game with the Kings, who are playing pretty well. The Wizards, the Mavs, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Timberwolves. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. What's the record in the next seven? I think in the next seven games, I'm going to go three and four. Going four and three. But I think, yeah, we're only one game off. I agree. I think they're going to likely win the Wizards game. Uh, and then uh, one of the Knicks games, the Hawks. I'm not going to remotely no, pick what they I win because this team, this team will <laughs> Let like me take lose the bus to in. anyone. I've, it's been anyone. too long. This is the team that like lost to the Magic yeah, and exactly. went and beat the Magic and went and beat the the Bucks and the <laughs> the Celtics in back to back games. So, like if they if they lose to the 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 Kings and the Wizards and then they go beat the Mavs and the Hawks, am I going to be surprised? No, I'm not. Watch them win the next four in a row and then lose back to back to the Knicks and just make my just make my week yeah. just terrible. Anyhow. My friend, I'm bringing in the bus. Until next time, DT, it's been an awesome conversation. A lot of good thoughts I think were shared today. I thank everyone for listening. I'm really grateful for everybody who downloads the show. And please, if you have any fine, fond ideas of us, 
uh, please uh, post those on uh, iTunes or whatever. Uh, I don't know, Ditcher, whatever, whatever you listen to this cast for. Give us a positive review. If you don't like what you're hearing, you can pound sand. Uh, until next time, <laughs> go, go Bulls.